On your journey through life, you are the hero. There are times, however, when it is beneficial to have an advisor to guide you along your path. Welcome to the Smart Money Simplified Podcast with Brent Mikosh, Certified Financial Planner, Certified Investment Management Analyst, and Co-Founder of MP Advisors, LLC. In this podcast, Brent discusses some of the most important and interesting topics of the day as they relate to finance, the economy, and beyond. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Smart Money Simplified with Brent Mikosh. Brent, what's going on? What is going on? Well, it is Thanksgiving week, We'll probably, which is means that by the time this is released, we'll be a couple of weeks past that. But uh, i got a short week, and I'm looking forward to spending some time with my family this weekend. How about yourself? All right. Yeah, that's, oh, I'm doing fantastic. So what it sounds like to me is that uh, by the time this is released, listener, if you still have leftover Thanksgiving food, it's probably time to throw it away. Yeah, you didn't do your job. You did not you do got your it. job. Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, you, you should have worked harder on that. Yeah, <laughs> All right, Brent. Well, I know you've got a guest on the show today. Uh, who'd you bring on? I got Michael Creedon on. He's president of Invenium uh, DeFi Devs. So think software that is, and I'm going to let him explain this better, that is in the blockchain space. Now, this is, you know, I, I, kind of a a little side here full disclosure we don't play in the crypto world uh it's been obviously something that as we've watched these assets you know bitcoin go to 66,000 back to 15,000 or so i get a lot of questions on it and raymond james's policies generally wild west type stuff we're going to stand back and watch what occurs well watching what occurs this year anyway has been a pretty good thing but we've got a lot of pretty high profile um uh, news items that have hit recently particularly around ftx mm -hmm. but i wanted to bring mike on just to first of all at a real basic level explain what all oh, this stuff something. is and then we're <laughs> going to dive go. into to, into the ftx stuff but mike that was a short intro for you what more would you like to say about yourself and your background before we get going here today well, things are good. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, again, my name is Mike Creed, and I'm a uh, I'm a Chicago guy. Uh, I spent most of my career running a proprietary trading firm in Chicago. I was a full member at the CME. We were very, very active in U.S. interest rates for a long time. Um, but ten years after Lehman Brothers and zero interest rates, I decided I got I got to do something else. And so I got into I got into technology and, and 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 blockchain in a pretty big way. And now I'm the president of a company called Invenium DeFi Devs, uh, and we're the lead sponsor of a new protocol called Accumulate, which we'll, we'll talk about if you'd like. But uh, that that's that's my background in in you know in a, in thirty seconds or less. So Michael, at a really basic level. Some, let's pretend that uh, that no one listening has an understanding of what blockchain is. What is blockchain? Let's start well, with that. Well, you know, the way I look at it, and, and it's funny, it goes back to my roots in my career of trading. And there's 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 various applications of, of blockchain, obviously. But think about it in one sense as an audit trail, okay? How important is an audit trail? And like for what Accumulate does and where we fit in the space, you know, um, Instead of having an audit trail on a 50 lot of corn, when, you know, who bought it, who sold it, what time, the exchange says this thing happened, and people can trust that data. That's the whole point. For an audit trail and an exchange, you look at it, and you know that that tape is real. Even if you anonymize the data, you still look at it and say, okay, who bought those tenure notes? Who sold that gold? Or, you know, not even, not even who was it. But what was the quantity? What was the timing? What was the month? What was the duration? What was the call strike? Whatever. In, in private market assets, like commercial real estate and, and private equity, the marks on assets are very opaque, partly by design, partly by the fact that 
the technology doesn't exist. And so a lot of what Invenium does, our parent company, but then Accumulate as well, is, is, is kind of streamline the data in a way that, first of all, it's just organized, it's in one place, and then you can go through and credential and, and that data so you can ha you have sort of an audit trail of all the data in and around an asset. Let's say that asset is a you know Wrigley Field in Chicago, which I'm driving by, or you've got a private equity holding worth $3 billion. If you have all the data in and around those assets, credentialed and anchored in an appropriate way, you know, then then you're then, then you're onto something, right? Because now what what that leads to eventually is secondary trading of those assets. So I know that's that's a lot there, but again, I just think of blockchain as an audit trail for information, <clears throat> and though, and that can be very powerful. Yeah, I've always viewed it, and tell me if if I'm on the right page with this. I've, I've viewed blockchain as essentially being a ledger. And you mentioned right. the futures and you know futures and commodities markets. The reason they exist is because people believe that the CME is trustworthy. You know, they, they, they know that those trades are conducted. The clearinghouse is behind them. The trade is going to be a good trade. Um, and and I think, you know, the blockchain to me, when I get questions, is there or there or there with crypto and blockchain? I think I think really there is a blockchain because think about any business that has a ledger. There has to be some way. Raymond James, for example, my the brokerage firm that I'm with, people trust the fact that their assets are held at Raymond James, that they are safe and think about any bank or think of a title company if you're buying real estate. And what I think blockchain has the ability to do in the future, what it probably will do is really massively disrupt that space, but it's got to be done on a protocol, like you're saying, that everyone trusts. Am I on the right, am I right. On the right track with that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, what's, there's just a lot of, it, you know, there's just a lot of differences to a decentralized network, right? As, a port as opposed to a company that's, you know, run by a board and, you know, just it's different. With, with a decentralized network, you have node validators and stakers and everybody, there's a community where there's incentives set up to get rid of bad, bad actors and to guarantee the validity of, 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 of good things. Now, and that's, that's, that's how it's supposed to work. And in, that, in many cases, that's how the blockchain technologies do work. Uh, it's a shame that, and it's an irony, that there's been so much malfeasance in the space. But, you know, as JP Morgan put in a report just last week, they said, it, it, you look at what's going on in cryptocurrencies right now, all the bad actors have been effect effectively centralized entities, not decentralized. So it, it's funny, like the true merit of, of blockchain is yet to really prove itself to a wider audience. But, it, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm utterly convinced that over time that'll happen. Well, yeah, you know, I think there's more adoption. Yeah. Yeah. I, my take on it is, is that, you know, if we'd sat down in 1996, 1997, I could say, you know, Mike, this, this Internet thing, this is a, this is the real deal. Um, and I would have underestimated the impact and the degree of which it would have for sure changed my life, changed business in the ensuing right. 25 years or so. Now, most of those early players, had you had you gotten involved, it was Wild West. You know, late 90s were Wild West for technology companies and Internet stocks. And most of them, the vast majority of them went away you know, and, you, and your value and the value of those entities went to zero. And I think that we are in kind of that shakeout phase right now in in uh if you're talking about blockchain, DeFi, that type of thing, and, and and the currencies, these cryptocurrencies that are that are riding on top of them, um, would you kind of you think that's where we are in the cycle right now? The, the, yeah, and there's there's, it's almost hard to put into words how much junk there is, and you know, and I don't mean to sound you know negative towards the space, but because I'm not, 
But let me just give you an example. Like I had a you know, little bit of exposure to Ethereum and a little, you know, a little, some, you know, I was active in cryptocurrencies after I got out of trading in some capacity. And then when the NFT craze started, I thought, you know, I'm going to buy an NFT. You know, I don't know. I don't know what they are, but I'm going to go buy one. I've got some, you know, I'm just I'm going to go buy a $300 NFT and just see what happens. Then I try to send it to myself and the transaction fees on the Ethereum network are going to be $1,800. <laughs> I thought to myself, I thought to myself, I mean, just think about it in today's terms, like not using blockchain. If you went on to Amazon and said, I'm going to buy this coat, it's 300 bucks. My wife's going to love it, but it's going to call me, cost me $1,800 to send to me. Um, I'm not buying the coat. Sorry. I'm just not doing it. Right. And, and, and again, I'm not, I, I think Ethereum is amazing. It really, and it really is, but, one of the flaws of Ethereum is it's extremely expensive. At times, the transaction cost can be ex exorbitant to the point where you say, I, I cannot be a high volume user of the Ethereum network because the costs are prohibitive. And, and so, you know, the, there's, and again, I want to under, underscore this because it's very important. There's, there's lots of things, tons of merit to the Ethereum network. But in, in, that, in that regard, um, the fee thing can be a real problem. And so other, other chains you know, besides accumulate have, have, have sort of solved that with, you know, and, but you, but being in a space for five years, the one thing I've learned is this space is filled with brilliant minds. And I'm, and I'm talking engineers from the best schools, mathematicians, and they're trying to solve problems. And, and, and like, if you're, it's like, if you if you want to get short blockchain as a general concept, you're, it's like you said, it's like getting short the internet in 1995 or 1992. How'd that work out for you? You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, again, there will be in any, in any disruptive, transformative technology, there are 99%, you know, frauds and 1%, you know, or one tenth of 1% that'll emerge. But, but it's, the, it's that one tenth of 1% that you want to, that, that, that will change the world. And, and, and the, these projects exist, they're out there. Uh, it's hard to tell which ones are real and which ones are not, but there's, there's so much, um, there's, there's so much money that's been allocated to this. And, and, you know, there's a lot of people that are still building, notwithstanding the recent events. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so again, for our listeners that, that may not be too versed in this, so we've got blockchain, let's call it the ledger or the authenticated ledger. Now on top of this, we have cryptocurrencies. Um, and I'm, I'm going to segue into the whole FDX thing after this, but how would you define a cryptocurrency? Cause I've never viewed it as, um, I don't view it as money as much as I view it as software. Well, think, but, think about it this way. I mean, and and the analogy that that is most useful to me, um, and I, I have young children. One of them is in the back car, vaccine. He's asking if I own an NFT, but because um, uh, he's listening. But if you've ever been to a Chuck E. Cheese before, or or any kind of you know amusement park or thing like you know like game store, you go in and then you want to play the games, and they don't. Don't take cash. You can't use cash. You know, you got to buy a card. Spend twenty five bucks or hundred bucks. You put it on the card, and now you've got you have the local currency, and you got need it. that local currency to operate, get on rides, play games, and then you know the real geniuses will have incentives like, hey, you want a bunch of points, you get a prize, but you can't function without that local currency and, and for ethereum and other and other networks you need you need you need the currency for an actual explicit reason it's not for speculation it's to you to pay what are called the gas fees 
to, to, to use the network. So you're, Expand you're on there's, this. A, there's a decentralized, yeah, you, you, right. Yeah. There's a decentralized network. You want to participate. You got to, you got to buy in. And as you pay for it, some of that network, those proceeds get burned, you know, depending on the model. And some go back to the stakers that are out there proving this network is real. And they, Oh, great. I get paid. I get paid to prove that this is, this is real. And, and so, and that's, what's going on. And you, you know, that, that, that $1,800 that I mentioned the payment that gets reinvested, so to speak, back in the protocol by the people that are doing the work. It's, I know it's, it, it, it it's a fabulous model. It, it really is. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot to these models, but that's why the, that's why you need a currency in order for blockchain protocols like block, like, like Ethereum to exist. You, you check the analogy is a good, that's a good one. I hadn't heard yeah. that one before. That, that's an yeah. excellent one. Yeah. Okay. That, that's, 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 that's one that works. Now you mentioned also NFTs. So again, uh, uh, I definitely want to educate some people here. We're talking non-fungible tokens and that's something that I, I never kind of got that because you would take, um, you know, say Jack Dorsey's first tweet on Twitter, they made an NFT yep. out of that. So and tell me if I'm wrong here. Basically what you're doing is you're assigning a, dis a discrete piece of code toward an image or something. Yeah. And there's only one of those lines of code. Am, am I, am I right on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I'm not, believe me, I'm not an expert in NFTs and I'm not sure what I'm an expert in <laughs> in general, but definitely not on NFTs. But I mean, look, I think, I think that there's there's certainly some merit there. I, I look at it as a combination. First, this is how I see it: is a combination of like artwork meets you know technology. And, and this this analogy I haven't really thought through, and I'm sure there's it's, it's filled with potholes or you know whatever. But you know, in the old days, you had a credit card, and it was from Visa or Mastercard or American Express, and that was it, and that, that was it. But, you know, but technology just moves so fast now, and you could get a picture of you know. Uh, Lionel Messi, you know what I mean? A picture of, you know, some soccer star or Michael Jordan or whoever. And, and, and all of a sudden you've got that limited edition, you know, you know, piece of artwork or whatever you want to call it. And, and now you could, you could sort of, you know, get people to say, well, I, I actually want that. I want that messy piece of artwork and I'll, 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 I'll borrow it from you and I'll pay you for the rights to use it because I want to advertise with it. And there's just all, there really is a lot of opportunity, you know, to, and that's the way I see it, you know, is leveraging artwork to say, what if we use this artwork as some sort of platform to do commerce? Um, and look, I, I will say that in general, I think the prices of NFTs were sky high. They've gotten hit. The industry's probably mostly on its knees. But I don't think it's disappeared. I really don't. And I, you know, again, I think that th this is probably like the dot com era for NFTs right now. But you know, people always laugh at the dot com era. But <laughs> the fact of the matter is, that's when companies like Google and Amazon and you know, that's what they were built like right in the ashes of the dot com era. Some of the greatest technologies on the planet today were started. And so, you know, and so th that's the thing. I mean, the headlines go to the negative stuff, especially in a bear market. But there's 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 good things happening. Um, you know, I, I would imagine an NFT, but I know there's good things happening in the blockchain space. Well, I, I think that I think that it's like anything when you when you're in this major innovation stage, you know, 99.9% .9 of the stuff that you try is not gonna work. I mean, even look at Tom Thomas Edison, what did it take? Ten thousand tries right. and he got the light bulb right. Um, and yeah, I definitely think that we're in that we're in that now. So, so we've got, all right. So I love your Chuck E. Cheese analogy. I know I said that, but, um, so we've got, <clears throat> we've got these networks, <clears throat> excuse me, 
you've got the you've got the, the tokens, if you will, um, that are giving you in, in essence a cur- currency permission to ride on these networks. Now let's talk about um if you're owning these tokens, you're owning these, if you want to call them currencies, a couple options to do it. <laughs> this will be my segue in FTX. You, you can hold your own private key right. or, or you can sit it on an exchange. And let's talk about let's talk about private keys first. And again, not being super versed in this, the way that I've always looked at it. The best when Bitcoin first took off the first round, when it went from nothing to say 18,000, so we're talking maybe 2017, 2018 back then. I remember reading a story from a guy in England that apparently had, you know, 100 coins or something like that that were stuck on the hard drive of his computer, which then went to a landfill. And he was trying to get permission from the city in England so he could try to go dig this thing up. And they're like, no, it's, a, it's, it's, it's gone, you know. Um, so you can hold these, you can hold these, these sequence of numbers, these assets, if you want to call them that on a thumb drive on your computer not exposed to a larger network would, would that be would that be a correct way to describe your own if you're having possession of your own private key am i on the right track with that um i, I missed part of your explanation i mean but you know just to like it's a it's fundamental it's sort of binary in, in a sense like if you own some cryptocurrencies you effectively have two options and there's always probably some third option, but one option is to leave the, leave the tokens on the exchange where you bought them, you know? And so I, I'm actually a Coinbase user. I like Coinbase. Um, I've left tokens there before. I, I don't think they'll fail. They could. Um, but you know, when you make that decision to leave the tokens there, you run a series of risks. One is that they get hacked and the tokens get stolen from them, but they probably have insurance. Number two, what happened with FTX here is they took those tokens and then lent them out in this whole shadowy secondary lending market. And then it's musical chairs, the music stops, you don't get your tokens back. But you know, again, people, whether they realize it or not, see, because if you think about where most of us are in society, you have money. Where do you leave your money? You leave it at a bank. Why? Sure. Because the banks are FDIC insured. So I don't put my money under the mattress because that's dangerous. My house could burn down. I could get stolen. So like, it's, it's like, it's a fundamental reversal of that philosophy. You trust the banks because they're federally regulated and they're insured. So you leave your money there. This is the opposite. I can't trust the entity on the other side because they could get hacked or they could do nefarious things with my, with my money and my assets. So I need to take possession of those things myself. It's a very powerful concept. It, for, for many people, it's too much. They're like, I, I can't handle it. It's too daunting. I don't want some ledger wallet that I carry around that's got a million dollars on it. It's just too scary. You know what I mean? But, but once you make, if you, if you can make that mental jump or whatever the amount of money is you, you have, suddenly you've, you're in possession of this thing and you have the password to it and no one else has it. And, 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 and you have to make sure you safeguard that thing, put it in a lock, put it, you know, and store the thing and make sure you talk to your spouse or your attorney and say, something happens to me, this is where you can find the keys. Okay. It's, it's, it's pretty radical stuff. You know, it really is. Well, it is because no, th- no one can freeze it. No one can, can go right. anywhere on the planet with it. Right. Right. And you're right. And, and, and it's scary. And I give myself about a D minus on the management of my own keys, but I, I do it and I'm not, I don't have a perfect system, but you know, but anyway, I, I got to step up my game because look at the end of the day, 
you know, and this is just my own theory. Where did where did Bitcoin emanate from? When did it start? I mean, look at the origins of it. When did the white paper got get written? It got written immediately after Lehman Brothers, right. like within months or maybe it was a year or something like that. And and that lack of trust for what happened there for the banks to sit on people's capital, get money from the Fed for next to nothing, and then take risk, inordinate risks, so that bank you know CEOs and their traders can get big bonuses and go to the Hamptons. And then when they lose, when they lose that money, which they did and which inevitably will happen, whether it's FTX, Lehman, whatever, then the banks say, hey, federal government, give us a bailout. And you know what, American taxpayer, you pay for it. Right. You're, you're paying for that. And people, some people said, you know what, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for me. I, I, I cannot trust this system. It's flawed. It's against me. And I'm going to do something different. I'm going to take possession of my own assets. And I'm going to have Bitcoin in my own personal wallet. And nobody can take it from me. Right. They can't take it from me. I literally have that asset. And it's in my possession. And you don't have, you know, the U.S. government, you know, Try to get it <laughs> again, like, but you, you, you still, have, you know, again, you still have to operate in a system of paying taxes and all that stuff. But that's what that's what these private keys are about, and that's right. why they're so important. And I mean, I would just, if I would say one thing, listen, if anybody has, you know, like, if you have any exposure to cryptocurrencies, you know, either either manage the keys yourself, or you you better really understand who your counterparty risk is. But you know, most people just. You know, the, the crypto exchanges have shown they, they can't handle the responsibility. That, that's why, and sorry to go on and on, that's why in my mind, it would be better if someday you could store your keys at Fidelity, you could store your keys at Goldman Stacks, you could store your keys at, um, or they could store your, your, your assets for you. Because, you, you know, it's, you'd like to think that, you know, it almost comes full circle here, but you'd like to think that Morgan Stanley or JP Morgan are not going to do what FTX did. Um, and they would, you know, or it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a bank, by the way, it could be Google, it could be whoever, you know, and, and, and some third party could say, oh, we'll, we'll store it, we'll ensure it, we'll take care of it. Um, and, and, and then you still have that decision to make, do you want to do it yourself or you let somebody else do it? Right. <clears throat> well, I think, I think you're, I think you're, you're kind of sort of predicting the future there, because if you look at all the big banks, they're all, they're all, there are developing what their platforms are going to look like. So let, let's talk about the big story because this thing is yeah, to me yeah, just yeah, absolutely yeah. fascinating. Right. So we got FTX. So we got so we got Sam Bankman Freed, I think in 20, you know, 14, graduates from MIT, whiz kid, whatever, uh, opens up Alameda Trading, I think in 2019, which essentially was um, we could even call it, you know, almost like a venture, venture capital firm, you know, investing in a lot of DevFi projects and and, and doing, I guess, trading in, in the crypto space. And then he launches FTX in 2019, which would be the exchange. So this is, you know, people that's, um, that, that don't want to manage their own, their own wallets or don't want to manage their own private keys. They want, they want to put, put their holdings in these, in these different, um, tokens on a centralized platform, which was FTX. This thing rockets. It's worth, you know, two weeks ago, I think the, I think the platform was worth $32 billion. You had the likes of Mr. Wonderful, you know, Kevin Leary. Um, I, I guess uh, pitching for it, you had Tom Brady, had a lot of celebrities involved. You have um, Sam Bankman-Fried was, I think, the number two political donor in the midterms behind George Soros. Yep. So, so this this guy all of a sudden is everywhere, and literally within two weeks, 
it's all gone. And there's probably a million, a million people that had their money parked on parked right. on his exchange that, that are now don't have their money anymore. The reason I reached out to you on this is because you put a phenomenal analogy out on LinkedIn <laughs> that about the Lamborghinis. <laughs> I'm going to turn that over to you because people are saying to me, all right, what the heck is going on here? What happened with this thing? And, yeah. and, and I've told a version of your Lamborghini stories. So I'm going to turn that over to you and, well, and sh- share with us what exactly happened well, here, Michael. Well, and, and, and it's uh, good timing because my son, who I said I wrote the open letter to, is, is in the backseat right now driving around with me. So, I, I yeah, I tried to explain what happened with FTX like I was telling Pat. It was a very bright fifth grader. But it, you know, if you think about it, it, you know, this is the analogy I use. Imagine you have an expensive car like a Lamborghini. And you can't. You know, you know, a storm's coming. You can't park it indoors because you're doing work on your garage. And so you don't have an indoor option. So you, you look around and somebody says, hey, I can park your car. I, you know, Joe's Joe's parking lot or Sam's parking lot. Come here. Give me your keys. You know, I'll park it for you. And you, oh, God, thank Oh, you're such a lifesaver here. Please. You know, I can't handle handle the inconvenience of it all. So you do it for me. You take my car. Here are the keys. I'll give you money. I'll come see every month and, you know, just, God, thank you for doing this. And I'll just get the car whenever I need it. Perfect. Well, great. Time goes by. It's winter. You don't need a Lamborghini in Chicago during winter, but then spring comes. You go back to Sam. You say, hey, Sam, I need to get my car. Where are you? Oh, shit, man. I got, sorry, I got a problem. What do you mean? What do you, what do you mean? Well, somebody came in. They want to borrow it. So I, I lent them the car and then they went joyriding and then they stole it and they sold it and blah, blah, blah. I don't have your car anymore, man. And it's like, well, dude, like, can't do that yeah you can't yeah. take my car and give it to somebody else and that's and that's what happened here i mean it's clearly what happened they yeah. had tokens and they lent them out to other shops because they were getting a pay to yield and like i said it's, it's musical chairs so i give it to you you give me an asset i lend it to you for four percent you give me the four percent you take it and somebody gives you six percent you're thrilled now you give the guy gives you eight percent now think about that chain, 10%, 12%, 14%. If there, anybody in that chain has a problem, we all get, we don't get our coins back. Right. And that's what's that this merry-go-round of lending. As soon as there's a problem, it the lights are out. And that, you know, that's pretty much what happened in Lehman Brothers, where you have you have a bank swap line goes down. Now Lehman Paint can't play Goldman, Gold can't, can't play JP Morgan, the whole thing falls apart. Right. right. And so that that's that's really, I mean. You know, I'm simplifying it, but uh, excessive lending, excessive greed, uh, a complete lack of of, you know, institutional control uh, that that brought down FTX. Right. And it's, it really is a tragedy. People lost a lot of money. A lot of people lost their entire life savings, which which is tragic. Because again, there's there's real people behind behind the those that lost their money. And I think right. what's amazed me is I've, as I've dug into this one a little bit more. Is you know the technology's vast is different, but it's the same thing, man. They basically took client money. They they trading slash research arm, whatever you want to call it, which Alameda was backed by FTT, which is their own token. And all of a sudden, you know, you get a run on it. And in this case, the run's triggered by um, CZ, the guy that's the chairman of Binance, I guess, which is the largest right. of the exchanges that said, you know what, we own a bunch of this FTT, which is the the token that FTX has issued. We're not so sure about this anymore. And he tweets it out. And next thing you know, everybody that's got an asset sitting on FTX on the exchange is like, whoa, wait a second. I want my money back. And right. uh, and guess what? It wasn't there. You know, but it's the right. same story. The technology is different, but it's the same story. You have people misusing assets that don't belong to them. 
Um, right. And again, you know, no governments. I guess the guy, the, the cleanup guy that came in here is a guy named John Ray, who did Enron. He did Fruit of the Loom. He's done a ton of high-profile bankruptcies. And his submission, his first documents he submitted to the court said he's never seen he's never seen anything like this in terms of complete lack of of uh, the financials, of accountability, of of you know any kind of audit trail. But but um, as an aside, you know Michael Lewis, who wrote uh, Liars Poker, Big Short, that type of thing. Apparently, he probably had more foresight than almost anybody because he's he's been interviewing these guys for apparently the last six months or so. And I cannot right, wait I to saw read. That. I can't wait oh, to read the book be, that comes out of this it, man. It's going to be incredible. Be, it'll be the greatest book of his entire career, and they're all great. But uh, yeah, it's you know it's it's um it's a shame. Uh, I think P- there needs to be just a general rethink of of what we talked about before is how do people take the tokens and um, you know, there just needs to be more education on it and, and better, better solutions. Um, I, I mean, one thing, and again, it, it's, it's weird. There's a term called uh, regulatory arbitrage where, you know, people try to game the system of global rules with whatever, whatever in finance or technology. And it's really kind of a shame because if, if there was, if, if, technolo- if, if cryptocurrencies were embraced more in this country, in Washington, by both parties, then there would be more solutions here. It may, maybe Raymond James, you know, maybe you know, would step in and say we could solve that problem, and people would trust Raymond James. They say, "Oh, I already, ha- they already have my other assets. Of course, why wouldn't I?" They're regulated by Finra. They're regulated by the SEC. I mean, like, I, and if you had that buy-in and the right legal structure here, I have every confidence personally that our banking system could absolutely handle custody of, of digital assets. I would gladly give, I bank at Chase. I, I have no problem having Chase have my tokens. In fact, I, in fact, I, pref- I wish they would do it. So I don't have right. to worry about safes and wills and lawyers and, you know, and run around in passwords. I'd be like, dude, 2%, 1%. Why? Because again, else, those fees would come down over time. They'd be nominal. There'd be insurance behind it and you could sleep at night. And that's what that's what the world and it's it is it's it, in a way it's it's sort of an oxymoron, but it's not because, you know, we got to get over. I mean, some people will never, ever, ever give their keys to a third party. And I respect that. Yep. But other people will. And but again, it's but the, the, the broader thing is you need these decentralized networks. Your society is going to need these decentralized networks to perform the types of activities that Ethereum Avalanche, Polygon, Cosmos, you know, you know, maybe Aptos, hopefully accumulate the project I'm involved with. And these, then you're going to, you know, because they perform a service that is valuable, you know, of credentialing data, or, you know, an audit trail for information that they, they, they do things, they solve problems. These blockchain never solve problems that the current stack in technology can't solve. Right. And so that's why they're valuable. We're, we're, wherever you put your keys, you know what I mean? Which is a separate and important question, but that's not the only, that's not the only reason these things exist is, 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 you know, for, for tokens to appreciate in value. That's not the only, or de- depreciate in this instance, but um, yeah, there's more to it. Now, at what point do you think, you know, looking at blockchain, at what point do you think we get mass adoption, you know, through the economy of this technology? Uh, I think the next, I mean, probably people have been saying that for 10 years or maybe even longer, but I think that the next, yeah, I mean, five years, even two, I think the next two to three years, um, even the next year or two will be, you know, fairly transformational. And I, you know, I have to be 
sort of careful what I say about Invenium was, you know, company I started with and they offer this opportunity here. All, all I can say in general is Invenium is the audience of just about every major financial institution in the world. And, and the conversations are very similar. Okay. Whether they're fund administrators, whether they're banks, whether, but these are the bigger, this is the who's who of finance. And they're all saying the similar types of things like, well, we have these assets, they're liquid. We'd like to find secondary trading for our clients for for all kinds of reasons. How do we get there? How do we get to liquidity for these illiquid assets? And the solution is better data. Okay. You need a better, you need a better mousetrap for data. And, you know, and, and, our philosophy is, well, who's going to trust the data? Think. Let me give you an example. You have private equity funds. And I'm not trying to criticize private equity funds, but just the, the current model is Carlisle, TPG, you know, whoever, you know, all the, um, you know, what's the big firm out in um, California? Anyway, all, all the big TPG firms, they mark their own books. Right. <laughs> they say... Oh yeah, this asset's worth you know 3.6 billion. This is worth whatever. This is worth. I mean, okay. So like, who's going to transact in that? I mean, no offense, but like, who's going <laughs> to? It's like saying like, it's like it's like saying, well, I think my house is worth two million dollars, and the buyer says, oh okay, then I'll just write you a check. Right, <laughs> right. How you, you own it. it. Yeah, you own it, and so you've decided in your singular capacity as the owner of the asset that you know what it's worth because you own it. You know better than anybody. You don't think that there's a conflict of interest there, do you? I mean, come on, like, stop. Of course there is. And and so, well, well, then how do you get better data? Well, you need the data to be trusted. And how do you trust data? You trust it through an audit trail process with independent validators who have an incentive to keep the network alive, don't care about the asset. And they're out there saying, is this real? What's real? What's not? And they're all just fighting to keep that network. And that, so... But anyway, the point is, to your question, I just see every day the biggest companies in the world trying to sell, solve a similar type of problem. And so I don't know who the winners and losers are going to be. I don't know, you know where Invenium is going to fit in that or Accumulator or any of these other things. But I know that the problem that Invenium and Accumulator are trying to solve is a very similar problem to what the biggest financial institutions are, are, are looking at day in, day out and, you know, stepping up the pace with, you know, because we're an active dialogue with these firms, we hear the feedback from them. You know, our commitment to blockchain is like three years ago, they were kicking the tires. Now they're digging in. So that's where I, you know, like, it, yeah. So I, you know, I come from a, a finance background, but I think that there will, and so I, I kind of see the world through that lens and I see adoption in those areas, but look, there's going to be ample applications in healthcare, government. I mean, in every single industry you can think of sports, television, entertainment, there's, there's, there's going to be applications. So, you know, look, I think that um, whether people realize it or not, blockchain is already here to stay. Whether they they look at the prices, FTX, they think it's going away and people are saying, Oh, it's going to disappear. I'm just wrong. I mean, the Ethereum network's not going to go away. It could be replaced by something better. Like any technology can be replaced. It's not going to go away. But I think that I think you'll see more adoption, you know, in the next, you know, 
two to three years in a, in a significant way. And, and, I, and I think the way you'll see it is companies will be making announcements about it. Big companies. And it, you already do. They'll you be saying we yeah. have. Yeah, we are. We, are, we are, you know. I mean, just today, it wasn't only blockchain per se. I remember it was yesterday. JP Morgan just issued a patent for the JP Morgan wallet. I mean, yep. exactly what so we're that. talking about. Mm-hmm. They said, you know, so they're already. I don't know what. There's probably be just Bitcoin to start with, maybe Ethereum, but there you go. You can safeguard your keys there. And so, and but like when you see JP Morgan, the the grandfather bank of them all, the the true too big to fail. Like they're the one bank because they're the closest to the Fed. They can right. never fail. We would have chaos in the streets if JP Morgan went out of business. And for them to adopt and take this technology and say, we're going to have our own wallet to safeguard Bitcoin. That is, it's a demonstration of, and that's what we're able to get. It's not, it, it's not binary where everything's decentralized, everything's centralized. It's sort of a hybrid model. And, and I think that that's, that's the solution you're going to see is the bigger institutions will start to embrace, you know, cryptocurrencies, blockchain, Bitcoin, whatever. And it'll be a little bit of the old world meets a little bit of the new world. Well, I also think you're going to see a big adoption here by central banks. I mean, you're already seeing and think, think about how you can exercise monetary policy if you have everyone right. on a digital right. currency. I think, you know, in China, they're doing the digital yuan now with an end date where you got to spend the money by a certain date. You know, it's basically disincentivizing disincentivizing savings and, and talk about power there. Well, you want to juice the economy, put an end date on everybody's you know, dollars. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, I, I mean, it, you know, people are so threatened by the security and privacy aspects of of um, of of central bank currencies, and I'm kind of I see I see more as a positive than a negative. But you, you think about it, you know, in the old days, stock market goes down, people panic you know, Fed cuts interest rates and stocks rally, but that doesn't benefit all of society. It just benefits the people that have money. That's all that happens. You saw what happened during the pandemic. Government said, well, holy God, we got got a real problem. Easing interest rates isn't going to be good enough. We need to send cash to people. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, think about it. With a central bank currency, you know, fine. There's 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 a crisis in the markets. People just... I mean, it, it, it already just happened with the pandemic, but now the ability, the government to just say, hey, we're just going to we're just going to issue. We're just going we're gonna to send money to, directly to clients. I mean, not clients, but citizens. Right. I know it's pretty. But look, there's a, there's a lot of different options. There's a lot of options here. But I think if you believe in a regulated economy, you shouldn't be threatened by a central bank currency. I mean, if you if you like if you're a drug dealer and you don't want to report taxes, then you're going to hate it. But if you're, if you're an established business that pays taxes and, you know, files reports with government agencies, why would you, why wouldn't, what's not to like about it? That's how I look at it. I don't know. Well, it's going to be it's interesting to see. Utility. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see where this goes, because I think that yeah, I agree with you in the sense that anyone that looks at what has occurred here, and, and this year has been, you know, it's, it's been challenging for every financial market, but it has been an absolute, you know, dumpster fire in the crypto space. Um, but what's going to come out of this uh, there, there is definitely something that's going to rise out of the wreckage of this, and I think it's going to be pretty powerful. It's going to change the way a lot of companies do business. And Michael, I really appreciate you taking this time and talking to me today. And how do how do people reach how do people reach you if they if they want to learn more? Sure, you know, I I uh, I do write. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, I've been writing on LinkedIn for almost five years, like every single day. And so I'm send me a message, just send me an invite or whatever. Um, I may be connected to people already. Um, a lot of connections but uh yeah linkedin is definitely the accumulate now uh the accumulate network uh, website 
yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. Awesome. Hey, Michael, again, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking this time uh, to chat with us and de definitely an eye-opening conversation that I, I can't wait for people to listen to. Thank you so much. Michael and Brent, this has been fantastic. Uh, Michael, again, uh, thank you so much for your time and all the information. I found it fascinating. Brent, of course, thank you for facilitating this podcast and bringing him to our audience. And speaking of you, the audience, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Smart Money Simplified Podcast with Brent Mikosh. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Brent comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask you to share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at MP Advisors, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Smart Money Simplified Podcast. Have any questions about topics covered during the show? Visit www.smartmoneysimplified.com or give us a call at 602-255-0555. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your individual situation. Securities are offered through Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated, Member FINRA, and SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors Incorporated, MP Advisors, LLC, is not a broker slash dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services.